how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Welcome to episode 151, where we're talking with Alan Elliott, the composer and director of the new Aretha Franklin documentary, Amazing Grace. Now, this film has been about 40, over 40 years in the making. Alan Elliott is a man of perseverance. After working with Warner Brothers, along with Steve Bacho, and on the infamous television musical, Cop Rock, look that up if you're unfamiliar, Elliott sunk his teeth into Sidney Pollock's abandoned project, Amazing Grace. Pollock's known for Out of Africa and Tootsie. The documentary presented Aretha Franklin with a choir at the New Bethel Baptist Church in Los Angeles back in January of 1972, after Pollock's successful film The Way We Were launched Barbara Streisand's film career around the same time, the studios promised Franklin a similar journey. For various reasons, the film fell apart. Decades later, though, Elliot decided to pick up the pieces, specifically these pieces were boxes and boxes from Pollock's private collection. To the virus surprise, the films were disorganized, not linked even in terms of audio and visual with the clapper or anything like that, and utterly just a complete mess. In this exclusive interview, the composer turned director discusses his discipline over the years, why insanity is necessary for a creative mind, responsibility of a filmmaker, why creativity is so personal, the modern infrastructure of the music business in terms of making or publicizing art, a favorite moment with Mick Jagger in the film, and his ongoing fascination with the Queen of Soul. If this is your first time listening. After the show's over, please go and give us a rating on iTunes or SoundCloud and, and uh, share this with your friends if it intrigues you. And also check us out on various social, including YouTube, the new series also called Creative Principles, where we dissect new films, series, and more. Thanks again. Um, I grew up, uh, my father was a composer, and um, uh, per, you know, primarily a film composer and television composer, so it was, it was a rather small community in Los Angeles growing up with creative people that were writers, you know, comedians, songwriters, composers, musicians, and um, uh, it was uh, it, it was actually a very close uh, close knit community. And um, so it, it uh, I mean, I went to, but then ended up becoming a music major. Uh, so they were all sort of flying around themselves and. Um, as the record business sort of came to a close, I transitioned into be, becoming a composer. And then from, from that, um, I had remembered this movie and then um, 
by default, nobody else would make it. So I had to make it. So, so what is kind of the background? I know the original director kind of never put it together. I know there was lots of problems with, one, the footage, linking up with the sound, but also other legal issues. How did you kind of you know, decide you really had to do this, and then how did you persevere with that goal? Um, you know, just sort of tenacity, um, you know, figuring out how to um, stay alive. Uh, it's been a very problematic 12 years. Um, and uh, the record company and the film company had no real interest in the movie ever coming out. And um, so we, I just sort of had to take it all on my own shoulders and will it through. Um, it's, it's, it's a strange thing that, um, you know, uh, at this point, um, record companies are really clearing houses for old content and, um, and, you know, uh, as opposed to when there were active record companies where people, uh, were interested in making new things, uh, these things are, I, I think, you know, and I talk about these things, films, you know, mo uh, uh, records, recordings, publishing are treated more as annuities. And in, um, in doing that, I think that the, People who are primarily the caretakers for these things are very reluctant right now to um, do anything except sit on the assets and hope that they accrue value. Was there kind of a history? Do you have a history with discipline? Like, is this the most uh, difficult thing you've ever done? Or do you have kind of a series of things like that in your career that, that when you stick with something, you know you have to go all the way to the end? I don't think there's ever been anything easy, uh, you know, in, in, um, in making things there's, uh, you know, uh, making good art requires just, uh, insanity. <laughs> and so, um, this is consistent with that. Was there something about the, this footage or this, um, uh, movie and in particular that stood out to you that you knew like true true fans would want to see yeah i i mean the importance of one of the greatest uh record albums in the history of popular music and then having the actual um ability to see it uh, I, you know, uh, it, it just was um, something that would have broken my heart to be able to deliver. Um, it's, I'm, I'm a fan of music. I'm a fan of film. And um, the historical significance of the film from a very early time, when I started thinking about it 29 years ago, um, just was overwhelming. And so that responsibility, uh, never, uh, never sight. And, um, 
And I don't know. I mean, it, these things are very personal uh, for me. And um, so uh, I, I, there was no turning back. I know at one point um, Aretha Franklin like didn't really support this coming out. Do you, do you see a difference in, you know, artists of yesterday and today? It feels like modern artists share everything they do all the time with social media. But if you look back at, you know, old interviews with rock stars and legends, they really don't want to talk to the press. Do you kind of see that difference um, when you're trying to get this film made? Well, I think there was an infrastructure uh back to the point of uh, active uh, film and music companies where people are making things and uh, the ethos of um, artistry and artists and art uh, luckily had, um, you know, an infrastructure which uh, allowed people to um, concentrate on making the art as opposed to publicizing the art. And, um, these people are now uh, forced to monitor their own Instagram accounts and, um, you know, uh, take care of their Facebook feeds and make sure that their Spotify playlist is taken care of, um, primarily because, uh, you know, with the advent of uh, streaming services and the lack of uh, ability for musicians to get paid, there isn't a community uh, that allows for people to really sink themselves into the craft more go into, um, you know, uh, having to do, uh, other jobs, which 30, 40 years ago, people would have no interest in doing. Um, Aretha Franklin wasn't going to be her own publicist. Uh, I don't think she would have been too interested in do you think, and in response to that, do you think we're sacrificing some of the artistic value of today, or do you think that these original artists were so great they'll they'll never really be uh, anyone to surpass them, especially Aretha Franklin? I don't think there's, uh, you know, it, when we talk about Aretha Franklin, you're also talking about, you know, particularly the, the recordings that we know her for, whether it's Amazing Grace, whether it's a respect whether it's Spanish Harlem, these are things that are not done just by Aretha Franklin. They're done by a community of people, you know, uh, Spanish Harlem, for instance, and by that rhythm section that is in the Amazing Grace band of uh, Cornell Dupree and Bernard Purdy and Chuck Rainey and Donny Hathaway and, um, and, you know, three great record producers of uh, Jerry Wexler and Arif Mardin and um, Tom Dowd. And the community of people contributing towards a larger um, is uh, not to be discounted. It's just, uh, you know, these are huge art pieces. They're like art installations as done, you know, yeah, uh, yes, it was Da Vinci, but it was Da Vinci and 30 helpers. Um, and so Aretha might have been Da Vinci, but there were the 30 guys that were painting with her. Um, and so I don't know if, if you know, the future allows for that, because you're also talking about 30 guys who were able to concentrate on their craft. You know, uh, the ability for Bernard Purdy to play drums only 
and Chuck Rainey to play bass only and to do it at the same level that Aretha Franklin is singing uh, is something I don't see in, the, in, in my lifetime coming back. It's kind of more the, the collaboration, the ensemble effect is kind of, everyone kind of wants to be the star uh, nowadays. So what did you originally buy? What, what I mean, I, I've read it's kind of just a series of boxes. What, what, what did you start with to make this project? A series of boxes. Um, that's what they were. They were, they were two inch tapes. They were half inch tapes. They were, uh, you know, film, but there was nothing sunk together. There was no cohesion, coherence to any of it. It was, um, you know, it was sort of like, uh, getting a bunch of wood and having to make a house. Where did you start? Did you kind of put a team together? Did you personally spend hours on this? What, what did that kind of first process look like for you? It was me just going through the inventory and, and knowing the record as I do, being able to, uh, uh, you know, say, oh, this would go with that, that would go with this, this would go with that. And uh, the big breakthrough was at a certain point going through the Warner Brothers notes and seeing that they had hired Alexander Hamilton, the choir director, as um, as a lip reader. And I said, oh, there must be a real problem here. And from there, uh, issues started to come to focus as to what the problems were and what needed to be solved. How long did it take until you actually had kind of a rough cut to, to show someone or put together? When when things were all finally taken care of, it took about 20 weeks to edit the entire movie, uh, and um, that was that was easy. That part, that was the easy part. You know, it was all the other um, sort of uh, detective work of finding out who owned what, where stuff was, who owned stuff. What could people do, et cetera, et cetera? It certainly seems like when you were you were taking on the project, it would be a blessing. But um, I've read that there was some problems. You think Aretha was upset about what originally happened and assumed it wouldn't be put together in a way that she would approve of, or what do you think the real issues were? I mean, we can only speculate. I mean, my my honest feeling is that she was upset that. They had made this movie, and she didn't get to become a movie star. That she thought she was going to get to become a movie star. They had hired somebody who had recently been nominated for an Academy Award, and um, you know they promised her the movie would come out. And um, and that year, uh, Diana Ross got to make Lady Sings the Blues, and, and right after this movie. Uh, Diana, I mean, uh, Barbara Streisand goes to make uh, uh, The Way We Were with Sidney Pollack. And um, I don't know if she would have been excited about the idea of, uh, you know, uh, that going away or forgiving that that had gone away. Is there any advice you wish you had in the beginning or if someone uh, listening is going to take on uh, something even close to this uh, scale of a project, what advice do you wish you had before you started? Uh, 
there's no advice. It's just you have to make a decision as to whether, uh, you know, how much you love something and how much you want to be involved with something. It's like, there's just, you know, this, this is a singular, this is a, um, a jihad uh, of sorts. And, um, you know, uh, I wouldn't recommend it for anybody unless they really, really loved something as much as I love this film. And, you know, love, love is without, you know, advice. You want to go towards it, go towards it. Don't want to go towards it, go towards it. You know, um, it's, uh, I would imagine everybody has the same issues with whatever film they have to make where this one, uh, you could never have said 12 years ago, this is what you would have to go through. No one would ever believe it. And no one would ever do it either. And that might include me. So what did you tell yourself? I mean, I understand there's various hurdles, but we all just, you're just thinking of the end result and how great it would be in the end. Was that kind of the main process for you? Well, you know, there was an edit of the film that I had done years ago. So I knew how great it was. And then it was just a matter of, okay, well, you know, how do we get it out? And, um, the convoluted nature of, um, you know, bad luck, bad luck and, um, and bad people. And, um, that, you know, kept this from going for many, many years. And there was just never any end to that. What was kind of the biggest, like, happy surprise you might have got at the end as far as, like, what came out of the footage? Was there a certain song or even a moment that really stands out to you? Uh, many. You know, uh, my favorite song is not in the movie. It's called God Will Take Care of You. Um, and we couldn't find a place uh, in the flow of the movie to make it work. So we had to take it out. Um uh the there's one incredible shot where Aretha is uh and doing climbing higher mountains where uh the the movie goes to Mick Jagger uh in a shot and he's out of focus and he's in the back of the hall and then we see him dancing in focus and then um I don't know a whole series of people standing right to block his view. <laughs> and the communal um, nature of the shot, which, you know, has one of the more famous people in the world um, who just has to be uh, uh, put in, in, in line to say, you're just one of many here. And, and, the, and the energy of the shot and the music at that point just really explodes and um that that to me is like the uh uh most energetic and and happy moment um when uh, aretha's father uh wipes her brow is another huge moment in, in the movie um and uh for me personally uh sydney pollock 
in the last shot of the movie, uh, looking over Aretha Franklin's shoulder uh, is always a touching moment. Were there any points where you, did you kind of get to put your personal touch on things in terms of the way things were edited or did you, when you're using footage like this, did you get to create some some zooms or pans or anything like that with the footage you already had to make it a little bit more your own style? Uh, the, really the editing is all, you know, you know, Sydney shot the movie and his cameraman shot the movie. Um, but the editing choices are all mine. You know, he didn't make, he didn't live long enough, unfortunately, to see one frame of footage um, in that way. Uh, so uh, that part was really um, where, you know, in, in terms of putting together a structure for the um, uh, for the for the film, that's that's where it was at. Um, has this kind of changed the way you take on projects now? I mean, you had to be you had to be in love with this one to get it done. Has this changed your perspective on how you um, agree to do certain things? And are you looking for that next thing that you're going to fall in love with? Uh, I've fallen in love a couple other times. You know, I'm excited about the next couple ones. Um, I it you know time adjusts all our um, decisions. You know, you if you if you learn something, you'll you'll learn to adjust for the next time something comes through, and um, and th- this is no different. You know, um, uh, I'm, I'll ask a lot more questions this time than I did last time. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If this is your first time listening, uh, please go online on iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating. Help us to share this content with more creative people. And tune in next time as we continue to discuss the intersection of creativity and productivity. You can also find more information. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website at creativeprinciples.live.